I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Camera Podcast, pubs, pints, and people. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Camera Podcast, the podcast all about the wonderful world of pubs, beer, cider, and perry. I'm Matt Bundy from the Mid Chilterns branch, and I'm joined by my good friend Anne. Hello, good day, people. And my good friend Katie. Hello. And today we're going to be discussing a very controversial subject. What <laughs> is craft beer? Oh, are we going there this week, guys? I mean, this is like opening a keg of worms. That's right. Matt has actually dominated this week's episode. He did both interviews. <laughs> it's just um, it's, it's a Matt Bundy special this week. It is. So for all of those hardcore <laughs> Matt Bundy fans, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Matt's going to be sitting down and speaking with Johnny Garrett of the Craft Beer Channel and Mark Dredge, who has the coveted title as beer expert for Channel 4 Sunday Brunch. Craft beer. What do you guys think craft beer is? Hmm. I suppose for me, it's things that you don't tend to get on supermarket shelves and it's got lots of flavour. It's something a bit different. Usually costs a little bit more, but you pay for the quality. How about yourself, Matt? Do you have a thing in mind when you're looking for a craft beer? I think artisanal, small batch, kind of made with love and care by a small specialist producer. That's the way I look at it. But as we're going to find out, everybody that we speak to in this episode in our interviews has a different view on what could be considered craft. There's so much confusion over what craft beer is and its terminology. Let's take the US as an example. I mean, the definition over there is a small brewer who brews six million barrels of beer a year or less. Just a few, <laughs> just a few, few million barrels. That's the American definition of small. Uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't it just? But then here, there's actually no official definition at all in the UK. So anyone can call themselves craft. So it could be a global brewer who's advertising themselves as being a small craft beer in the usual style where you see on the packaging, whereas it's actually being made in the same factory as what we would consider to be mass produced. So mm. it's a really problematic term. And that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to do the interviews this week, because it's something that I have an interest in, because I think that people are vulnerable to advertising where they're being told that something is craft when it isn't. So you've got a bit of a background in marketing. Absolutely. I used to advertise beers and cider and particularly launched the cider in the UK that was kind of positioning itself as being a craft small product, a kind of prohibition era product, when actually it had been dreamed up by four of us in a room. So it is, you know, the, the art. Which cider was that? I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, 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 that would be something, eh, Mr. Bundy? <laughs> Camera actually coined the term real ale. The founder sat down and they said, OK, what we think is quality beer at that time, back in 1972, 
is beer that comes from the wood. It has that secondary fermentation process happening in the cask. It is naturally carbonated. It's an artisan product. And we came up with that term. Therefore, we've got a very strict definition of what qualifies as real ale and what doesn't. And when the term craft beer came over from the States, it has presented a lot of problems for us at camera because some real ales do qualify as craft beer if you're thinking about whether they're small produced or if they're artisan, if they're quality product. But not all craft beer would qualify as real ale. So you've got this strange situation between the kegged and cask world when it comes to craft beer and it's not something we've actually been able to solve here in the uk it's gonna be an interesting episode this one and i'm sure that those of you listening are gonna have your own views about this which we'd absolutely love to hear from you so before we go on any further do remember that you can get in touch with us anytime on our twitter handle it's camera underscore official use the hashtag podcast and this week why not use the hashtag craft beer and we can join in the debate with you thank you so much to everyone who's already reviewed the podcast and rated us we really appreciate it it's the best way to get us flying up those podcast charts and if you remember we had a competition to win a copy of Selman Ship Cameron's wonderful book congratulations and thank you to Sandy Motterham Cameron Wilson Anthony Gifford and Connor Henderson who got in touch and uh, got a copy of the book winging its way over to you yes congratulations we absolutely expect you to come out as you know head brewers of your lockdown <laughs> times and you know I'll look forward to sampling some of your product we also have another competition lined up this time we want to thank our nhs and key workers and the people out there who are really making a big difference during lockdown so you can actually nominate somebody who you think has gone above and beyond during lockdown to win an introduction to american craft beer that we've got a virtual craft beer tasting taking place on the red on lion at 6 p.m on the 12th of may and they can win free beer to go along with it that's right folks this one's a great one to get involved with so please do nominate your lockdown hero 15 lucky participants will be selected and they will be given the chance to take part in the tasting with brewers association craft beer ambassador for your lottie peplow she'll be leading that one and will also be sending out cases of the beer that she's going to be sampling to those participants absolutely free all they've got to do is pick up the bottle of sierra nevada to complete the set which is available at any supermarket and boom you've got a free tasting and beers to boot that's right and it's really easy to nominate people all you have to do is comment on our social feeds between now and friday and you can find all the t's and c's at camera underscore official now, to whet your appetite for the tasting, we're going to be learning all about craft beer today. Matt is going to first sit down with Johnny Garrett for our Learn and Discover section, where he's going to be telling us all about what Flavor First means to him. Johnny is the founder of YouTube's Craft Beer channel and was named the UK Beer Writer of the Year in 2019. So over to you, Matt. Learn and Discover. For joining us on the podcast, Johnny. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with the Craft Beer Channel, it's a fantastic multi-award winning YouTube channel that covers everything under the sun when it comes to beer, how it's made, styles to try it, um, and it spans both sides of the Atlantic too. You do podcasts and your book as well, and your latest book is called Beer School, a crash course in craft beer. Yeah, that was, uh, it's actually now our second, uh, we've got two books. Yeah, Beer School, a crash course in craft beer, which is, is easily the best selling of the two. Uh, the way that we define find it at the craft beer channel is that it's beer that's produced with flavor being the most foremost in mind so beer that is produced either traditional or extremely experimental or is just purely designed to be as delicious as possible 
that shouldn't be able to be a definition because obviously all beer should be produced with flavour in mind. But as camera members will know, surprisingly, yes. that has not always been the case in British or, or any national beer. So how did you get into the craft beer scene? How did you and the channel start? So I was always a real ale uh, and a Guinness fan once I started drinking at the age of about 16, 17. Worked in a pub for a couple of years, funded university that way. So I always loved beer, but I actually got into food first. I worked for Jamie Oliver, uh, the, mm. the celeb chef. Ended up editing his website, jamieoliver.com. And around that time, he launched uh, FoodTube, which is his mm. YouTube channel yep. all about his recipes and his friends' recipes. So I was helping out promoting that. And I'd always loved beer and had been watching beer reviews on YouTube and realized that nobody was really doing what Jamie was going to do for, for beer. So mm. we shot a couple of videos just to see how it would work. Um, Jamie liked them and put one on his channel and it and sort of exploded from there. Yeah, from there. Amazing. I think what I love about your channel is the way that you look at some of the nuances and differences between the UK and the US scenes and you travel over there extensively. What do you think the main differences are in the way in which craft beer is handled in the US and in the UK? Well, I think there's the, the main difference is there isn't much real ale out there. It's a super, super trendy and niche in the States, which I, I love the fact that it's trendy over there and over here. It's got this reputation of, of being for the older generations, which is starting to shift, thankfully. The, the other difference is the sheer scale of it. If you look at the biggest breweries over there, people talk about Brewdog no longer being craft. They're not even producing 10% of what the biggest craft breweries in the States are. So there's this disconnect with scale. And then finally, it's, it's the care that they actually put behind the beer. Not, not so much on the production side. We've got some incredible breweries, obviously, in this, in this country. But in the States, the way that it's uh, transported cold, uh, the way that it's that lines are looked after the way that the customers are educated to drink the freshest stuff is just another world from here. So in the States, it's actually a lot easier to find a perfect pint than it is in the UK. The vestigial view of it, as you say, is like kind of maybe a more of an old person's drink than a young person's drink. And you say that's shifting. Where, where do you think that movement is coming from? I think it, it's helped that a lot of the new breweries coming through have started producing exceptional cast beer. Um, that means that the people who have been, you know, obsessed with with hazy IPAs and big imperial stouts, the people that they follow and idolise are now singing the, the praises of cast beer. Mm. So, for example, Northern Monk, they, they don't really produce any cast beer anymore. They just have pretty much one brand of it. But in their taproom is a permanent line of Timothy Taylor's Landlord. So you've got all these super young beer geeks coming in and seeing Landlord on the bar. But it's also working in that the education is so much better in beer at the moment, like the work that Canberra's done, uh, the work that lots of the breweries have done by investing in education, the fact that there's so many beer writers, or I hate the word, but influencers out there trying to educate, starting to discover the variety that you have in the UK better than pretty much any country in the world. Fantastic. I think it, it's, it's about reclaiming that word craft as a, what it is, which is a positive that's yeah. very art, artisanal. Kind of yeah, and has, has a link to being hands-on, small batch, all these things that we, I mean, it's being co-opted by bigger breweries now, but that's, that's really what I mean when I'm talking about flavour first. It's about people designing recipes, designing beers they want to drink, taking great care and attention to detail to it. And where do you think craft beer is going to go next? Do you see any positives in the future? We're kind of at a bit of a crossroads. There's been a lot of sales of some of the bigger breweries. It seems there's like a ceiling of about 60,000 hectolitres where as soon as you hit it as a young brewery, you sell. I think because perhaps the debts that you've taken on have become a bit onerous or a lot of people get burnt out. Some of these mm. brewers have been you know, handling the day-to-day -day as well as the business side of it for 10, 15 years on a super thin budget. 
so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many breweries can sort of get past that without feeling the need to sell and how many breweries will stay independent. What we have now is something that's never going to change, which is this wonderful base of a, a couple of hundred breweries in the UK on real ale and keg side who are producing stunning stuff. And we're always going to have that now. And that is really reassuring. It means that as a beer geek, there'll always be something you can drink that's mm. going to be delicious. Uh, out of all the travels that you've done, what's the craziest craft beer that you've ever tasted? What's your craziest experience? It was a McKellar beer. They brewed an imperial stout using coffee beans that have been passed through a weasel. So oh. I forget the name of the specific kind of coffee, but it's supposed to develop a very, I guess, distinct is probably the word, uh, <laughs> flavour. So that was pretty crazy. But I also uh, went to a homebrewing festival just outside of the Arctic Circle in Norway, where we were given a, an IPA and we drank it, uh, had a sip, and then the guy went, and that's made with poisonous weeds. Uh, at which point we well we swallowed already there wasn't a lot we could do um, and he then sort of waited for our reaction and then went but the poison boils off so yeah for about five or ten seconds that was the craziest beer I've ever had beer does add a very distinctive taste it, it does taste different yeah that's for sure what would be your desert island beer at the moment it would change depending on when I was marooned but at the moment we spent a lot of time in, in New England recently and I've fallen in love with Allagash White which is their classic whip beer which now comes in a can but like a big a tall boy can and it's just an absolute joy to drink it's like liquid lemon meringue and i just can't oh. get enough of it <laughs> i'm writing that down <laughs> well johnny thank you so much for your time and you can tune into the craft beer channel for new uploads every wednesday you must check it out there's some fantastic content on there learn and discover I love Johnny's chat about the States. I'm originally from Boston and he's totally right in saying that real ale is actually very trendy and very niche out there. It's not something people tend to drink, but everybody loves craft beer. Sally had a great time with him, Mark. And don't forget, listeners, if you do want to learn more about craft beer, please, please, please do visit Cameron's Learn and Discover resources. There's loads up there, including special member-only content. With things like barrel aging and conditioning, mixed fermentation, heritage style beers. I mean, this is hardcore stuff now, folks. And we're only looking to expand this content in the coming weeks. And if you're not already a camera member, then why not? We are. It's great. It's only £26 a year and it helps support all of the campaigns and all of the learning resources that we're talking about every week. Uh, you can learn more about your favourite drink and tap in some great benefits and discounts. And you and I, Northerners, we love a discount that you get. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and that includes discount on beer deliveries from people like Fuller's, Adnams and Beer 52. Which at the moment in lockdown is very, very handy. I hope you've replenished your cellar, Matt. <laughs> I have. I was. Uh, I hope you got rid of those Christmas ales and <laughs> I did. I just got through one. I, I had a strange one of them was a pork scratching flavoured ale. Oh no. Uh, that was from like a kind of a novelty I guess uh, that's when you know you really uh, uh, get into the bottom. Scratching of the, the barrel. Now before we move into our interview with Mark Dredge we've got an exciting new bit of content that we'd like to start sharing with you each week. Now Sue Nowak who is the author of the beer cookbook and the food writer for Cameras Beer magazine has offered to share beer recipes with our lovely listeners each week so they can get busy cooking with beer during lockdown. That's right. This week, Sue has very kindly provided a recipe to make collops in beer batter. Collops or scallops, we'll let you decide. Uh, in this, she writes, clearly a spot of comfort food is needed. None of your fancy stuff. Don't you know there's a war on? 
Though for our stay at home wedding anniversary, I did create a deconstructed, see, on trend, trifle from a bit of leftover Christmas cake, drop of Barney wine, banana and cold custard. I'm confident camera members can at least lay their hands on a couple of spuds and onions and a bottle of ale. I use proper job from Cornish Brewers St. Austell, a real joy of a beer, pale gold, hoppy and spritzy, of course it is, perfect for crispy Oh, it sounds lovely that. I'm going to give it a try. We've included a link to the full recipe in the show notes, which you can see on your podcaster of choice. And you'll also find it on the digital platform for What's Brewing at wb.camera.org.uk. Huge, huge thank you to Sue for this. She's like the Mary Berry of camera right now is our (laughs) Sue. So do let us know if you give the recipe a try. Why not even share a few of the pictures on the Twitter feed at camera underscore official hashtag podcast hashtag collops i want to get it trending on twitter guys how many hashtags of collops do you reckon i want to i want to get hashtag collop trending uh, and do get in touch with any questions if you've got them for sue she's really happy to answer all of your beer and cooking questions so either tweet them in or do drop us an email if you've forgotten already the address is podcast at camera.org.uk now we're going to move on to matt's interview with mark dredge the beer expert for channel 4's sunday brunch Desert Island Beer. Thank you so much for joining the programme, Mark. Uh, Welcome to our Desert Island Beer segment. For those of you who don't know, how can you not know Mark? Um, But he's a beer, food and travel writer and he holds the coveted title of Beer Expert on Channel 4's Sunday Brunch. And his latest book, I quote as a brief history of lager, Mark, which I think only covers just 500 years. So, Mark, we've got to ask you our, our Desert Island beer question first. I think I can hazard a guess based on the title of your last book, but what would be your Desert Island beer, the one beer you would be marooned with? You know what? It's not a lager. <gasps> yeah. No. Write a new book. Yeah, I know, right? I should do, actually. That's a good idea. I'll, I'll speak to my publisher straight away. <laughs> no, my, I, you know, I'm always asked, what's the favourite beer? What's the best beer? I wrote a book called The Best Beer in the World because I was asked that question so much, like, what's your favourite beer, best beer? And actually, for me, my favourite beer and the beer that I could just drink all the time, endlessly, is Duval. I love it, the Belgian ah. beer. To me, it's like, it's strong, mm. but it's the sort of thing that I can just drink like it's a 4% lager because it's light. It's crisp, it's refreshing. On a hot desert island, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna refresh me. But also, lot into the long lonely nights, you know, yep. it's got some extra, extra booze behind it. So yeah, Duval, best beer in the world. That is right. Actually, whenever we ask a question, people don't really think about, you know, the situation. It's a hot tropical island. You know, what's refreshing, but what's gonna be something you can keep drinking? You want maybe more of a session. Yeah, and just dry, like a dry beer beer that's, yeah, just refreshing. I love that beer. See, that's what I like about, you know, we were talking just before we uh, started recording, I've got your beer bucket list uh, book on my coffee table back home, and I think what I really love about it is that it's not just about the beers and how they taste, it's always about the the situation where you're drinking them, that beers have a sense of place, if you are going to the home of where these are from, they have a, a very particular surroundings and a way in which they're served. It's the whole experience. Just thinking about that, what would you say would be the the craziest experience that you had, like the one that, the one that sticks in your memory the most? I know you've been to so many places, but what, what what's the one that, that, that wow, that was mad? Well, the reason I love beer is to be able to travel. I think I don't know, it'd probably go both ways. The craziest experience. There was one recently in Japan, which was at the end of the lager book I just wrote, and ended up just on this really long pub crawl with this guy. And it ended up in this dark, smoky little alleyway. Imagine like the railway arches in London, these railway arches. End up sitting under one of those, eating all of this weird stuff that was coming off this grill. I had no idea what, what the hell it was. Just drinking loads of beer, loads of spirits. And got really, really pissed with these two local artists. 
and they just had this uh, local art show open. And it was just one of those brilliant experiences. It wasn't necessarily a crazy or wacky or dangerous experience. It was just one of those experiences that would never have happened if I'd have just been wandering around on my own or sitting in some Irish pub around the corner. You know, mm. It was one of those experiences that could only have happened by drinking with the locals and drinking where they drink their beer. And then for me, that's kind of really the key thing. Like you could drink all around the world and only drink in Irish bars or only drink in chain restaurants and things like that and get no concept of context or how or why people drink. But by drinking with local people and where they actually go, like that's the sort of thing that I love. Let's talk about lager then. So you, you've written a brief history. What made you focus on lager? So I've, I've always liked lager and I've always been fascinated by it. And I've always or I've recently been kind of confused as to why the history of lager didn't exist. Like no one had written it. There is not a book about the history of lager, which then just made me think, well, why? What stories are there that I could put together to put into a really fascinating history? And it's not a brewing book. It's not anything like that. And for me, it was a social history. It kind of links back to what we were, we were talking about, context and things. I really wanted to put together a social history of what is the world's greatest drink. You know, if you think about it, lager is the most drunk type of beer and beer is the most drunk type of alcohol in the world. And I wanted to know how that drink originated because I was almost certain that it didn't, it, 500 years ago, it wasn't coming out of a tap cold and fizzy and crisp, you know, and yellow. I was almost certain that wasn't going to happen. So I wanted to know what it was like then and how somehow that Bavarian, local Bavarian speciality became the, the drink that everyone around the world knows simply as beer, you know, this cold, yellow, fizzy drink. And I was, it was uniquely fascinated by how that potentially happened. And then the social, the technological changes, everything that linked together in I guess in the history of the world as well as the history the history of drinks. And then another kind of side thought came into, into my head as I just started it is that beer is the most global drink. Lager is the most global drink in the world. It's literally brewed everywhere, more than any other drink. There is nothing which rivals it. But yet it's uniquely local. Wherever you go, you will find a local lager. Probably made by a, a large brewery, but you will be able to find a local lager. And people have their kind of unique feelings towards that beer, kind of a local pride towards it, no matter where you're from. It's like, that's my country's beer, that's that's what we drink. And there's something you, there's something quite special about that, and I really wanted to look into those ideas. But in the UK, would you say that lager's maybe a bit unfairly maligned? Yeah, absolutely. Lager is the thing that we give up when we decide that we want to drink craft beer or mm. real ale or something like that. We're like, okay, no, I make you make a conscious decision. Like, I don't drink that anymore, I drink craft beer now, or I drink real ale now, I made, I made a change. And, and it is like this, these, these two sides to it. And a lot of that is because you know, the lager options that we have are mainstream brands. And if that's what you like drinking, then you're very happy with that because the reason that lager I think is so popular is because you know it, you understand it. You know wherever you are in the world, you can order a lager and you know that it's gonna be roughly 5% in alcohol, it's gonna be carbonated, it's gonna be refreshing, it's gonna be unchallenging. Whereas you walk into a bar and you order a pale or an IPA or a stout, like, you don't really quite know what you're going to get. And to some people that's exciting, but to a lot of people actually that's not. So I think the, the lager is definitely maligned as this boring, bland, mass-marketed drink, which is really unfair. And another reason that, but another thing that fascinated me with the, the history of lager was the stories of these breweries. Now we can look back and some of the, some of the most famous names in brewing, like their beers have been around for 150 years or more, like incredible long histories. It's very difficult to make a company last 150 years and both turn it into global companies. And, you know, and they are obviously maligned now because there are negative connotations around some of those brands. But I think 
the stories of how they developed is uh, is fascinating. Do you see, I guess, true lagers or pilsners or, pilsners or whatever you want to call them from abroad, they could, they should be seen as craft in their own right? Lager is unfairly thought of as being inferior. You know, it's really hard to make beers like, like lagers and they have their own different needs, I guess. The, the kind of the end product you get on a bar, whatever mainstream brand it is, that beer to us might not necessarily taste you know, intensely strong. It might not taste particularly interesting, but the flavor that it tastes of is exactly the flavor that that brewery wants it to be. Mm. And the challenge for them is to ensure that it always tastes that way. Now, to craft breweries or craft beer drinkers, that might not be exciting, but actually to, to the people who make that beer, that's an exciting, difficult challenge to make it taste that way. You know, there is, it's, it's a different kind of skill in brewing, as opposed to making a beer that's flavor forward and intensely hopped or whatever it is. That's a different kind of skill to making a beer that's delicate and light and consistent all the time. Can you recommend a lager then that you would say is something that would be that would change people's opinion on what lagers can uh, can be? There are so many great lagers now, and I think that's what is exciting is more and more small brewers are making excellent lagers nowadays, and there are so many in the UK, which to me is brilliantly exciting. Don Zoko is a great lager brewery. Bohem make Czech-style pilsners. They make a beer that's just like Pilsner Quo, but they make it in North London. It's brilliant. Lost and Grounded in Bristol. They're Keller Pils, and they've got a bunch of different lagers. They're just really, really great tasting beers. And there are more and more popping up all over the place. Some new ones that a lot of people haven't heard of, say, brewery called Round Corners in Melton Mowbray. There's a brewery in Devon called Utopian. Like, there's a whole bunch of new breweries that are setting up, and they're focusing on lager because, you know, if you think in the UK, 75% of beer drunk, roughly, is lager. If you can tap into that and make something that's appealing to the people who would ordinarily want the pale ale or the, the craft beer, there's an enormous potential market there for people who want familiar but different. I think that's probably the right way of putting it. Familiar but different. Familiar but different. You know, you want to go for a hamburger. Do you want to go to McDonald's or do you want to go to the local diner that does a decent burger that's got good local beef that makes their own bread that does all this and that? You know, I think it's familiar but different. Better. Well, you've changed my opinion. I'm going to go and give some of those a try. Let, let's talk about real ale. Um, what do you think is the situation in the UK industry with real ale at the moment? The UK industry at the moment is unusual, and I'm, I find it hard to understand it myself and to follow it myself. And there are so many breweries nowadays, and there are so many who are trying to chase trends. And for me, this is a really unusual, an unusual point in the beer market and in, in beer history, in that. To gain some kind of notoriety, to help gain sales, you kind of need to make weird styles of beer. And that kind of is against what I really like drinking. You know, I love consistency, I love quality, I love knowing what I'm going to get in a beer. I still want big flavour, I still want a great IPA, but I kind of want to know what it's going to be like. Not a brewery that only makes a new beer every week and that's it. And I think we're at this odd crossroads in that there's too much excitement about new and there's less focus on kind of making it consistent and making it, making it better. But for me, I think the UK beer industry is very exciting, you know, and I think it revolves around the fact that we have beer heritage, we have beer history, you know, we've got these long cultures of beer drinking. If I travel the world, I drink in places that perhaps haven't had thousands of years of beer history, like they're just making it up as they go along. And, and that very much is sort of, OK, well, let's try this, let's try that. We've at least got that great foundation of brewing and beer and beer culture, which is everlasting. That's not going to change. And you've got these incredible classics. You've got these brilliant beers, which are so nice to drink in pub environments, things like that. We know we've got this foundation of brewing and beer drinks, which is unrivaled. And that is exciting. And there are more and more breweries 
that are making better and better beer. Britain is one of the best places in the world for beer, for traditional beer and for modern beer, for keg beer, for real ale, for whatever you want to drink. But there is this odd kind of scrambling for new stuff, which kind of makes the whole market, I think, unstable. People are just are kind of chasing their own tails. Mm. I, I likened it the other day to um, watching like seven-year-olds play football. Like <laughs> someone boots the ball and then everyone runs after it. And then someone boots it in another direction and then they all go that way. And then mm. someone boots it in another direction and then they follow it. It's like no one really is like leading the way. No one is taking charge and being like, no, we're doing it like this. It's the good way to do it. So you obviously adore and are a massive advocate of the of the British beer scene, but which country outside of the UK would you say is the home of your favourite watering hole? Let's make it as broad as that. <laughs> I drink in Germany a lot. Obviously, having written a book about lager, I spent a long time over there and I love it in the Czech Republic as well. I love Because I think it's the culture. I mentioned it. It's these long-held cultures of beer and these traditions that are there. And I love that. I find that really exciting. I just got back from the US. I was in the US for almost three weeks recently, travelled around a lot. And that's really exciting because to me, it's the place where I go to try and see what's coming next in a way. You know, the U.S. is at the forefront. What happens over there, brewers everywhere else pick up and they replicate or they do their own spin on that. For me, in terms of my favourite, like, watering hole, my favourite experience is Hanoi in Vietnam. Mm. Like, my favourite place to drink is in Vietnam. Just because there's this theatre to it. You know, you drink in these bars that are on the side of the street. Like, your legs are literally in the, in the street. And I don't know if you've been to Hanoi, but it's so loud and so fast and it smells so strong of so many different things. Um, and you're drinking these light glasses of light lager and there's just something uniquely brilliant about it. I, I try and write about Hanoi and Vietnam as much as I possibly can, just because it's definitely my favourite place to, to go <laughs> drink in. I agree. Uh, when I went there, it's just a wonderful buzz about the place. And when all the way through Vietnam, when you get the different styles, the fresh beer. The, yeah, uh, the beer white. Yeah, bringing it straight out of the, the fridge, just in like, like they just they whipped it up in a jug, which they have. Yeah, yeah it's and just the culture incredible. is just, and, and that's a place that does have culture. Like that beer hoi has been around since the, the Vietnam War, the American War. That is part of the modernization of that country. I guess the, the regeneration of that country after the, after the wars that they went through. Like they've got this culture for, for drinking and for beer, which is great. It's a very different kind of beer and culture to what we have in a way. But it's also exactly the same because you meet after work, you have a beer, you have another beer, you maybe have some food and then you, you go home again. It's, it's nothing like our culture, but it's everything like our culture. Yeah. And I say that, I mean, that's what makes uh, the books that you write so interesting because it's about the wider experience of drinking, not just the taste of it. Oh, you maybe want to go back to Hanoi now. <laughs> there we are. Thank you, Mark. Desert Island Beer. Well, there we are. Mark was a lovely bloke to speak to. And it's interesting, obviously, this week's episode is all about craft beer. And I started off thinking we were going to just be talking about craft beer and traditional real ale. But it was interesting how his work that he's doing on lager is all about opening up what people's views can be about what is artisanal. And by that, I mean well-made and made with a specific quality in mind. I just found it interesting that he can talk as passionately about lager as he can about the Mm. niche-produced craft beer out there. It just shows that you can love lots of different types of beer with passion. And that's what this is all about. I thought it was interesting how he talks about... Actually, people who swear off lager tend to be craft beer drinkers and you don't actually have that crossover very often where people will still continue to drink lagers once they've decided to go down the craft beer route but there are a lot of really amazing artisanal lagers out there so it shouldn't be an entire category discarded in that way and i think what was really nice from the interview is that he says listen whichever way you look at it i mean i love the analogy about the group of seven-year-old kids chasing
chasing a football and they all chased a football at the same time to try and stay on trend and uh, I thought that was great but I think the message that I really got from that is that, that whether you're brewing a craft beer whether it's a real ale whether it's a lager it's got to have a recipe there's got to be some consistency with it and um, whether your trait is lager and trying to get it to taste the same wherever it is in the world or whether it's artisan and you're trying to do something very niche and have it as a small batch there's still a very very technical level of care that needs to come with that maybe very nostalgic for traveling oh <laughs> i know just, i mean i want to leave my house never mind the country <laughs> that actually we were talking last week about walk arounds weren't we and things that you could try and do in your one hour of mandatory exercise adam taylor our mate from up north who did the interview at robinson's brewery for the first episode wrote back in and said i had a little walk in my one hour of exercise last sunday to see how many pubs i could get past and managed 62 although i would say my definition of pub was pretty loose so maybe i should do it again in an hour and only count pubs that serve real ale i love that he's done that <laughs> it's an interesting concept a lot of people would say that i can't walk past one that could be a new, a new way for me to define my walk to a pub we've got the nation's favorite lockdown pub the red on lion and uh, it's great to see so many people signing up for that the details of course are already readily available on the camera website you can also just Google it and just put the red online and there it is. Register up and away you go. Other browsers for searching are available. Next, we're going to be diving into the archives and looking at the very first What's Brewing, which was published in June 1972. 1972. And in that year, just six big brewers. Just to give some context, listeners, there are over 2,000 today. So camera, of course, positioning itself as the voice of the drinking man. And what this first edition is talking about is to actually sell Celebrating an early win for cameras, the protectors of the spirit of real ale against perhaps more unscrupulous pubs and brewers at the time who perhaps weren't keeping to the quality that camera members would like. There's a particular pub in question this week in the archive. Dirty Dicks down in London was claiming to serve beer from the wood, pardon the pun, when really they had drilled a pipe through the barrel, which was completely hollow, so they could serve cheap kegged beer from a wood front. There we are. Well, Cameron reported this, our uh, intrepid members back then, to the Department for Weights and Measures for prosecution. But the pub ended up getting away with it because they just had to display a sign that said he's not actually from these kegs. It's not the first time that Cameron members have been known to test pub beers. Really surprisingly, back in the day, brewers didn't have to say what the ABV was of an individual beer because it was actually considered a brewer's secret. Wow. So <laughs> I know. Can you imagine having no idea what the ABV is of the drink that you're having? It's like a difference between a good night and a bad night, right? <laughs> <laughs> so camera members would sneak these little vials into pubs and take little samples of beer away to test in labs and then publish the results in what's brewing. So that actually forced the hand of brewers to start publishing ABVs in this country. I mean, this is like crime scene investigation stars. <laughs> you know, what, what did you have? I don't know, but I tested it and it was strong. What's brewing all of a sudden? I mean, can you can imagine the content in the 70s and 80s where all this information was readily available. Of course, it was going to be of real interest to the community. It's really strange to think of having beer and not know what the ABV is. A total lack of consistency, which when you consider the entire episode this week's about craft beer and getting your recipes right, really leaves a lot to the imagination. I also love the quote in this from Michael Hardman who was uh, one of the founders of Camera and he said much of the blame for the pathetic state of today's beer can be blamed on the drinkers who have accepted the mass introduction of the unadulterated sludge that is glorified in the name of keg I mean he was a real marketing guy you can tell I love that it's so brutal isn't it (laughs) 
a hard line from Hardman. I enjoy what we've got. There. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Last orders. Well, what a week we've had craft beer. There you are. So whatever you took from this one, folks, we do hope that you enjoy whatever you go on to drink over the next week. It's due to be lovely and sunny. It's been a it's been a bit of a miss with the weather this week, and I'm slightly obsessed with the weather, but it's one of those, isn't it? There's not much else to obsess about while you're in lockdown. But what have we all been drinking this week? That's what I want to know. You've already said you've got rid of the Christmas ales Matt, so what have you moved on to now? Because bear in mind, Easter was last a couple of weeks ago. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I've lost yeah. track of time, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, ashamed as I was, as having uh, no proper real ales to talk about last time, I've done a car pickup from Tring Brewery. Oh, uh, I was looking to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really easy. You just call it. I, got, I actually I went on the camera website to look up local deliveries that are near me. So I've got a few that I've lined up. And it's really easy. You just call in to tell them that you're in the car park. You drive up with your car and you put it in there. And as you know, I hate driving. So the commitment I've got <laughs> to getting uh, to getting the beer was there. It's also a weird thing to be running around with cases of beer packed into the back of your car, knowing at any point the police could stop you and ask yeah, you if it's an essential journey. Yeah, contraband, yes. <laughs> Like it was an essential trip. I was drinking Rocky Rudolph last week. <laughs> well, I'm sure if they saw that. So I, I had a, a bumper pack, which I've been working my way through, of Tring's side pocket for a toad, which we've talked yeah. a lot about uh, time together, haven't we? So yeah, I'm all stocked up now and I've got some other pickup next week as well. So I will not bring us into disrepute anymore. <laughs> How about you, Anne? Well, this week I have been enjoying a little bit of the old Spitfire from Shepherd Neem. Ooh. Yeah, it can show. Do you know what? It always seems to be on offer. That's what I love about that beer. Is most places you go, it's always an offer somewhere. Which, interestingly, just on a side note, did you know that they've cancelled that money supermarket comparison site now? Have they? Yeah, you can't that. go on that anymore. It's scandalous if I ever heard it, because I used to get all of my beer deals from there. Yeah. But, of course, Spitfire's what I've been drinking this week. What about you? So, in typical craft fashion, I have been spoiled with a little tasty box from Gypsy Hill Brewing. My favourite, it's very strangely a lager again, but it's a hibiscus rice lager called Norabang, and it's pink. Okay, so that's exciting enough wow. as it is. It's got that really sweet and sour flavours of the rice lager. It's got the hibiscus floral notes to it, so it's just a really fun summery drink to have. I think you've really yeah, ticked the box for craft this week. So, before we finish, we just thought we'd say thank you once again for listening. Don't forget get to share with your friends and family this podcast we want to see ourselves climbing up that rating scale and of course you can listen to the podcast in a variety of ways so keep sharing keep listening because it gives us something to do every week guys i'm being completely honest with you i've got my final quote for this week which i think is very appropriate for those of us still working from home and that is from oscar wilde who says work is the curse of the drinking classes which ironically for many isn't happening at the minute we should like rewrite it to being furloughed is (laughs) make sure to join us next week we're going to be learning all about what is real cider i can't can't wait my pet topic at last (laughs) and to whet your appetite we've got loads of cider tastings and events happening this week in the red on lion Gabe Cook is running tutor tastings on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Check it out at theredonlion.co.uk and you can tune into those lives. So, yeah, get excited for cider, guys. Let's book a table, Matt. Mm, I'll be there. We look forward to seeing you then. But for now, as ever, a huge thanks and salute to all of the key workers and NHS staff and everybody else that's still working to keep us all afloat. Cheers!
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer.com beer52.com forward slash people that's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95 and what's more as a special offer for our listeners they'll throw in two extra beers for free so that's 10 unique craft beers Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world and this month it's an absolute belter Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now. <laughs> 